0: Hello there, this is Philip Peruski. Welcome to Mixing It Up with Mixter, an Autism Podcast. Today we have a special guest, Keith Wickman. Keith is a student at Mixter School. He is a great friend to anyone who needs help. He is very helpful and honest, a hard worker at his best, not to mention he's an amazing artist. He will talk to us today about our construction room. He will talk about building pallet signs and cornhole boards. First up, Let's hear from our special guest in an interview with me and Dominic on the construction room at Mixter School. Hey guys, this is Dominic, aka Rawls, and I'm here with Philip, and we'll be interviewing our school student, Keith. Hey Keith, welcome to our podcast today. Thank you for our special guest.
1: No problem.
0: Let's get started with a few questions about our construction class. First... Can you tell us what role do you have in the construction room?
1: I'm usually a painter at the construction room, and usually I put a lot of details of painting.
0: Keith, how long have you been in the construction room?
1: Well, it's since I started in construction. Mr. Reese is still in high school, so it's a very long time.
0: Well, do you find that the construction room is a good place to be in?
1: For starters, it depends on the person, if they don't like loud noises or anything like that, not a good place. If you don't mind that at all, it might be the best place for you. If you are a painter like me, and you don't mind the noises like I used to, get a lots of it. Usually, mind my own business and keep on moving.
0: What are some of the jobs that other students can do in the construction room?
1: Well, there are people that like to build. Some are sanders. You usually sand things until it's completely The wood is completely smooth. And I do a lot of painting, if you like to know for a fact. And trust me, Mr. Reese is a very good person in heart. He knows in the right place. But he is a great example to get things done.
0: How can people purchase some of the projects that have been created in the construction room?
1: Some of them I get email, Mr. Reese. Some through going to the school, and we have this special occasion, our street fair.
0: Is there anything else that would you like to tell us about?
1: Well, about the school, it's a, it's a decent place. And we're trying our best to make, make sure the best is possible. Even though mine is its flaws, it's a good place to start off with. If you ask for me, I'm doing something for myself as an independent artist. And don't need a boss or anything like that so I can be my own boss and decide which artwork is good for me. We have a Christmas
2: track today and we are the producers by Joseph Ramp, Luke March, and I am Benjamin J. Belfuse. Benny for short. We want to tell you the skits that we like to hear. And it starts with Christmas Vacation.
3: Uncle Lewis, my tree. So what's the
2: matter with you?
3: Look what you've done to my tree.
2: Lewis, it is an ugly tree anyway.
3: At least it's out
2: of
1: its misery.
2: That's <laughs> going to flop out. No, 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 no one's going to flip out. But we're going to have a wonderful Christmas. Whoop. What the heck do you want? I have a delivery from Clark W. Griswold and uh, I was supposed to deliver it yesterday, but it fell between the seats. I didn't see it. I'm sorry. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Aren't you just a tiniest bit sorry that we didn't get a Christmas tree? I don't even know they're dirty and messy and corny and cliche. Well, where are you going to find a tree this hour Christmas Eve? <laughs> Whoa! Found one, and the windows broke.
3: Do you hear it?
2: Hear what?
3: You couldn't hear a dump truck going through a nitroglycerin plant.
2: I hear it too. Don't hear it anymore. Well, whatever it was, it's coming from the inside. Wow! Whoa! Oh! Squirrel! Oh! Squirrel. <laughs> Quiet! Shut up!
3: Where's Eddie? He usually eats these things.
2: No, not necessary there, Clark, but he read the squirrels were high in cholesterol. Thank you, Catherine.
3: I'll try and trap it.
2: Ross! Right here, Dad. Oh, there you are. Go get the hammer. Clark, why do you need a hammer for? I'm going to catch in the coat and smack it with a hammer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm going in with him.
3: Okay? Is it gone? Must've, um. got, must've got scared and went back into the tree. SQUAAAAR!
2: <laughs> Alright, that's it! What's the hammer! <laughs> Don't stop! He's on your back!
3: Gone! And... Hey everyone, it's Joseph Ramp here and today, on the on the 7th of December today, I will I will be talking about the the attack on Pearl Harbor on its 80th anniversary. In order to understand it, it's best to understand how did it start, what led up to it. Well, it all began in nineteen thirty-one, when Japan invaded Manchuria, and pretty much later on that sa- after that they withdrew from the League of Nations and throughout the 1930s and right around 37 they would invade China but in 1940 after the fall of France unfortunately Japan decided to invade French Indochina which caused an oil embargo in the months leading up to the attack Japan basically was in preparation for the attack but then as things were going on the United States was trying to figure out where was the Japanese fleet weeks before Admiral Yamamoto's Pacific Japanese fleet heads straight all the way towards, uh, Hawaii. On the morning of December the 7th, the attack begins, and afterwards, President Roosevelt would deliver his speech on December 8th, the day after the attack, the United States would enter the war.
4: And that's pretty much all for today, so, see you next time. Hello everyone, this is Brandon, aka GojiraFan1954. And today, I'll be sharing everything I know about The Hunt, Alien vs. Predator. Now, the script was written by Peter Briggs in 1991, and his script was based off of the AVP comic series by Dark Horse Comics. Anyway, let's get to it. The Hunt, Alien vs. Predator. The film would have opened on a distant, desolate planet. A hunting party of predators have just finished a hunt, focusing on xenomorphs, which is the name of the alien species and taking their trophies. They, the Predators, head to their ship to set off more into the galaxy. The Predators would have been led by an individual called Broken Tusk. Upon entering their ship, we learn they have a Xenomorph Queen captive, using her to lay Xenomorph eggs so they can propagate worlds with Xenomorphs to hunt. I guess that's why they call it the Hunt Alien vs. Predator. And again, Peter Briggs got this from the Dark Horse comic series. We would have also learned m- more about the Predators' technology and culture. As the Xeno eggs are laid, the Predators individually scan them to search the contents of the eggs to ensure no royal facehuggers are seated onto any of their hunting planets. The Xenomorph is worthy prey, one of the best hunts the Yautja could face. However, the Yautja, which is the n- name of the Predators species, aren't stupid. They have no wish for the Xeno hives to grow out of control and they have to keep them in check. Broken Tusk interrupts the process, speaking in their language of clicks and ticks. We get the impression that he wants a harder challenge, a greater hunt. He then loads a royal egg into a, into a seeding probe and shoots it into space. It lands on a distant planet called Ryushi. The probe destroyed a satellite upon arrival cutting off communications between nearby colonies and between the comms outposts and a group of civilians on a hunting expedition. The hunting party watches as it comes into the atmosphere and as it lands, they go investigate, unaware of what awaits them. A member named Acklin gets attacked first and gets facehugged. As the rest head back to the camp, they are attacked by a broken tusk and his Yautja hunting party. They kill all but one, they leave Acklin as he still has the facehugger attached, knowing it'll make an interesting challenge once chaos ensues. Anyway, let's get to the big battle. You can check out the entire script yourselves if you'd like, but today, I'm going to skip to certain stuff for now. Three days later, after a search for the new xenomorph queen, she has laid eggs and bred with a native wildlife. The xenomorph horde attacking is something... we haven't seen before. We see Rhino like Xenomorphs and many other alien hybrids. The Xenomorphs rapidly spread. The Yautja hunting party attacks. The Xenomorphs overrun the complex, overwhelming the predators, killing every Yautja but Broken Tusk. Broken Tusk and the humans team up, and at one point, they head into the hive and Broken Tusk sees another Yautja strung up against the wall in the egg chamber, chests opened from the inside. Broken Tusk arms the self-destruct device on his fallen Yoncho comrade's arm and motions a a woman named Noguchi to leave. The outpost then explodes, killing the queen and whatever xenomorphs remain. But as Broken Tusk and and Noguchi leave, another queen xenomorph bursts from, from a sack inside the hive and attacks, injuring Broken Tusk. Noguchi rushes to his aid, and after a short fight, they escape. They head to an outpost aircraft. The queen jumps on to the side of the aircraft, in intent on revenge. Broken Tusk takes a post rifle and shoots the xenomorph queen, sending her falling to the outpost below, and the aircraft crashes into a nearby jungle. Broken Tusk is then wounded a- by another xenomorph revealed to be on board. Noguchi takes part of a smart disk and fights the xenomorph, and as it's about to finish her, Broken Tusk shoots it with a post rifle, killing it, using the last of his strength, and as Noguchi gets to his side, Broken Tusk dies. Then we cut to two USCM ships arriving due to loss of communications and a Predator ship uncloaked. The Yaucha carrying Broken Tusk's body on board, and the owner of the ship turns to Noguchi and offers a Predator combi-stick as a trophy and motions to their ship inviting her to join them. And she goes, and the movie ends. Now... Even though we didn't get to see this movie, we did, however, get an Alien vs. Predator movie in 2004 and a sequel in 2007, which is Alien vs. Predator Requiem. And some of the stuff from this script was used in the 2004 movie. Anyway, that's a wrap, and I'll be back next time with the next lost film, Alien vs. Predator 3.
2: See ya. Hey guys, this is Dave. I want to talk about friendship. It is very difficult to make friends. It's very hard for me to talk to people. I get so scared that people will not answer me, but I do have some friends. One friend is Maddie. Maddie is very friendly. She is easy to talk to. I appreciate the friendship I have with Maddie. I hope that I get more friends at Mixture School. Friendship is important to to me. Thank you, Maddie, for being a great friend. And thank you, listeners, for being a part of our podcast. This is Gabe Ramirez signing off.
5: Hello, I'm Jack Campbell. Today, I am going to talk about the continuation of Voltron Legendary Defender. After the season finale, or should I say, sorry, series finale. After the series finale of Voltron Legendary Defender, Everything was all peace and joy and happiness. The Gaur has stopped attacking but there are some Gaurans that still don't believe in peace. They only believe in war. Many years ago, the Autobots were trying to find a way to bring back their fallen comrades and they found a way. The Decepticons had the same idea. They traveled to a magical, powerful black hole and they sucked them in. Both Autobots and Decepticons. The was so powerful it brought all of the Autobots back to life, even the Decepticons, Optimus Prime and Megatron from the 80s. The Transformers from the 80s will cross over with Voltron Legendary Defender, I thought about that a few years ago when I watched, first watched Voltron Legendary Defender. And Japan has made a couple of spin-offs from the Transformers franchise and I thought about them crossing over in the series as well. The Paladins of Voltron found the Autobot ship Teletran 1 and the Decepticon's ship was hovering in space. The evil Garwins that don't believe in peace found the ship and they made a deal with Decepticons. Decepticons and Garwins attacked the whole planet Altairia and it's up to the Paladins of Voltron and the Olobots to fight them. Team up and fight evil, for they are victorious. They, one shall soon, one shall stand, and one shall fall. Well, that's all for today. Hasta la vista, peeps.
2: Next up, it's Weekly Update with Joseph Ramp and special guest Brandon Rangel.
5: Hi,
3: everyone. It's me, Joseph Ramp. And also, we have special guest
4: Brandon Rangel.
3: And today, we're doing comic talk, so I'll let Brandon go first on this one. Hello,
4: this is Brandon Rangel, and I'm going to be talking about the top Spider-Man villains. Now number one is for the top, one of the top Spider-Man villains is Green Goblin. In my opinion, I like Green Goblin because he rides around on a glider and throws pumpkin shaped grenades, and he's also the father of Peter Parker, aka Spider-Man's best friend Harry Osborn, and sometimes... Harry himself becomes Green Goblin. For number two, there's Dr. Octopus, aka Doc Ock. His real name is Dr. Otto Octavius, and he has a harness on his back where he controls four tentacle-like arms, and that's something I like about him. And for number three, there's uh, Venom. For Venom, it's a symbiote, which is like a black alien goo that's alive. It bonded to Spider-Man at first, but then Spider-Man, after Spider-Man got rid of it, it, attached to a co-worker of Peter Parker's named Eddie Brock, t- turning him into Venom. Now, I like Venom because he looks like a black suited Spider-Man but with sharp teeth and a long tongue. Venom says we instead of I because it's referring to both Eddie Brock and the symbiote. So, for example, he says we are Venom. Now, back to Joseph Ramp.
3: Thank you, Brandon. For me right now, i like to talk about probably was one of my favorite comic stories, uh, the uh, Winter Soldier story from uh, Ed Brubaker's run on Captain America. What I like about it is Ed Brubaker took a creative route in bringing Bucky Barnes back from the dead as the Winter Soldier. This story was also used in the MCU for those who have seen the movie Captain America Winter Soldier. If you haven't seen it, I suggest you do check it out, and if you ever have the time, I suggest you check out the comic that it's based on. Right now, I'd like to push this back to Brandon.
4: Thank you, Joseph. For number four is The Lizard. The Lizard was a guy named Dr. Kurt Connors, who was one of Peter Parker's science teachers who had one arm, and he tested a serum on himself to regrow his arm, but it had a side effect that made him look more reptilian, and that's how he became The Lizard. For number five, Electro. Electro was a guy named Max Dillon, who got in in a very bad electrical accident, which eventually gave him electric lightning powers. In The Amazing Spider-Man 2, he was played by Jamie Foxx and will be played by Jamie Foxx again in the upcoming Spider-Man No Way Home, along with Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin and Alfred Molina's Doc Ock. Now back to Joseph.
3: Oh, all right, thanks, Brandon. Next up I'd like to talk about is, uh like, uh, The Ultimates. What The Ultimates is is a... Uh, Alternate universe take on the Avengers, but in the story they're not called the Avengers. They're called the Ultimates But they made some changes to some of the characters although some of the they kept some of them the same They wanted to take it like what if the Avengers existed today instead of like how they were back then so some ideas Were you were used in Joss Whedon's uh, Avengers like if you look at some of the stuff in in the Ultimates And compared to Josh Whedon's film, you could see where he got the inspiration for his movie. And then it even had a sequel, Ultimates 2, which was as good as the first uh, Ultimates uh, miniseries. Now back to Brandon.
4: Thank you, Joseph. For number six is Carnage. Carnage is like Venom, but red. He bonds to a criminal named Cletus Cassidy. Uh due to a cut on his hand that was part of the Venom symbiote. Basically Carnage is Venom's son and I've been waiting for them to do Carnage in a movie and they finally did so in this year's Venom Let There Be Carnage. For number seven there is the Hobgoblin. Now Hobgoblin is like Green Goblin but his suit's kind of different. His mask is like yellow and he wears like an orange cloak and one of the people that becomes him might secretly be in the MCU. Now back to Joseph. Thank you, Brandon. All right, I'll wrap it up. For my next one, I will
3: talk about DC Comics' story, uh, DC, The New Frontier, which is one of my other favorite stories. Basically, what Darwin Cook decided to do is he wanted to show how the DC Universe moved from the Golden Age of Superheroes from World War II to the Silver Age from the 1950s into the 1960s. And that's pretty much what The New Frontier is about, how, oh, that, how are they going to adapt from uh, the Golden Age to the Silver Age in the 50s into the 60s, and it was also adapted into an animated movie in 2008. It was either 2008 or 2007. Although, the movie is good, they cut out some stuff. If you're going to check it out, read the comic first, and if you really like the story, check out the DC animated movie, Justice League The New Frontier. So now. I'll leave it up to Brandon to continue on with what he has left.
4: For number eight, there is Craven the Hunter. There is a little bit I know about Craven the Hunter, but one thing I like about him is that he wears, like, a leopard-printed uh, coat and, and has, like, crossbow and will also be getting his own movie in January of 2023. And he has a half-brother who was also a villain called the Chameleon. Now for number nine, there is Morbius. The living vampire his actual name is morbius it's actually michael morbius to be exact and he experimented on bats which gave him vampire powers and he will also soon have his own movie in january of next year which is 2022 i am brandon wrangle
3: and the and joseph ram for weekly update see you next time see you next time
6: hello this is nicole johnson with our guest maddie from mix it up and Mixter. Today, I am going to talk to our guest, Maddie, about her job at McDonald's. Hi, I'm Maddie. How was the interview process?
7: It was very good. I got hired on, on the first day, but I was a little bit anxious.
6: How long have you been work at McDonald's?
7: Six months. What is your responsibility? Making the Happy Meal, sweeping, stocking, cleaning lobby. Do you work on kids' meals? Yes, I do. What shift do you work? Afternoon shift. How many hours a week? 15 hours a week.
6: Do you get breaks?
7: Yes, I do, and it varies from time to time. How do you get to work? Mom and Dad, but hopefully in the future I could take like a bus
6: or an Uber. Our last question, then, we want to know, do you enjoy working at Mickey D's? Yes,
7: I love it. It's very fun. I get to talk to the other workers, and that's about it. At work, were you feeling stressed or
6: overwhelmed? Do you take a break? Yes. This is Nicole Johnson with our guest, Maddie, signing off. This is Maddie signing off. Hello, this is Nicole Johnson from Mixing Up with Mixter. Today, we'll be talking about Richard Lee. Richard Henry Lee was born on January 20th, 1732 in County, Virginia, Colony. He was raised and came from a line of military officers, diplomats, legionters. His father, Thomas Lee, was... The governor of Virginia and before his death in seventeen fifty. 1750. In seventeen fifty-seven, Lee was appointed Justice of the Peace in Westmoreland County. In seventeen fifty-eight, where he was elected the Virginia House of Burgess, where he met Patrick Henry. Lee was selected the sixth president of Congress under the Article of the Confidential Nation. On November thirtieth, 1784. In the French Arms in New Jersey, Lee is recognized as the founding father of the United States. He died June 17, 1794. He was 62 years old. He was buried in House Field Cemetery, Coles Point in U.S. Virginia. This is Nicole Johnson signing off. Thank you for listening up to Mixing It Up with Mixter. I
7: am signing off with Magnificent Maddie.